The only worship-worthy being in the universe takes the form of a servant to save mankind and usher us into eternal fellowship with him that sin had once destroyed. Hello, you're listening to the Greek to Me podcast, a daily discovery of the New Testament scriptures one word at a time. We hope today's podcast helps you better understand and appreciate God's word. Hi, today's word is theos. In Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34, Matthew records, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus here responding to the attempted verbal trap of the Pharisees. Theos here, the word for God, or the supreme divinity who creates and sustains all things. Biblically speaking, Theos is used more appropriately in the singular with a capital G, of course, to refer to the one true and living God. That said, theos is often used generally throughout Scripture to refer to false gods, to the devil as a god of this world, and even to human leaders as representatives of God. Not only is theos most biblical when it's used in the singular with a capital G, theos is also most definitional when used singularly. What does it mean to be God except that you are supreme? All who claim to be God then must prove that they are more of a God than the others. There are not two first place medals. There are not two goats or greatest of all time. There are not multiple MVPs or most valuable players. The nature of God is biblically and definitionally superlative to the extent that there are no worthy rivals, none who come close even. After all, there is something that can be said of God that cannot be said of anything or anyone else, and that is this, he never wasn't. That is to say, there was never a time when he didn't exist. Despite legend or pagan myth, he alone is the pre-existent creator and sustainer of all things. The very first words of the Bible capture this beautifully. In the beginning, God. If Ephesians 1 doesn't put God in our minds as he was intended to be, not much will. So enjoy this extended reading of Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, that is Christ. Verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth 
In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I hope you're noticing a theme. Verse 12, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believing in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here we see God is not only supreme, we see that God is sovereign and he is a saving God. And even in the gospel, as we see here, he is at the center of all things. Ten different times we read that this work of redemption is according to his plan, his purpose, and his glory. Notice the Godhead, the Trinity, all at work to do this. The Father plans, here the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies salvation to our lives. So the one true and living God, or Theos, is supreme, he's sovereign, he's saving, and here we see how he is social. He is three in one, lacking nothing, only eager to share with all creation his glorious, holy majesty and his perfect love. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, "...behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son." And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which in Hebrew means God with us. But when God arrived in the person of the Son, in the form of a man, he didn't much look like God. As cute as Jesus surely was as a baby, there was a profound power being demonstrated in the way that God came to us that first Christmas. There was nothing, quote, cute about what it took for God to take our form. Listen to how Paul describes this in Philippians chapter 2. He's instructing the church, the Christians in Philippi, to, quote, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death." even death on a cross. Therefore, because of this humbling, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Did you catch this? God has humbled himself. Let that sink in. The infinite one took the form of the finite man. The creator took the form of his own creation. The all-powerful one voluntarily harnessing his own power the giver of life, willingly laying down his own, and and in such a brutal fashion. The only worship-worthy being in the universe takes the form of a servant. All, why? To save mankind and usher us into eternal fellowship with him that sin had once destroyed. So Christian, behold your God. Don't ever get used to the extent to which he went to save you. Maybe you've heard the comparison, it's silly, but God becoming man is like us becoming like an ant to save all ant kind, meaning we would have to downgrade what we are and who we are in order to do this, but we would do it in order for them to be saved. And as ridiculous as this comparison is, even as pointless as it is, here's the idea. That silly comparison of us taking the form of an ant to rescue or save them, it's nothing compared to what it means for our infinite God 
to take the form of sinful man. What humility, what love. Yes, he is our rescuer, and yes, he is our father. And may we always enjoy then the salvation and intimacy with our God through the lens of who he was before, who he was in eternity past, and that is the preexistent, all-sufficient God who speaks and worlds are made from nothing, all because of the word of his power. What a mighty God we serve.